On the first week in this series, we talked about these rivals of Paul. In this letter to the church in Galatia, uh, Paul is talking about these rivals in this false gospel, this other gospel that they're teaching, which is Jesus plus circumcision and food laws. What they're teaching is that Jesus alone is, is not to be trusted, someone whose faith is only in Jesus. There's some actions that need to follow for trust to build. And, and that's what we looked at the first week. Then, then last week, we looked at how our own testimony is, is powerful and is what leads us forward. And hopefully you had some moments of thinking through your own testimony. But this week, we're going to look at the idea of, does it really matter if somebody is saying Jesus plus? Like in real life, does that matter? Or is it just a theoretical exercise? And um, to start, I want to ask any, we, we've still got some kids around, right? If you've got kids near you on mute for a second, I've got a question for a kids, adults like Don, you can count for both kids and adults. But uh, if they're kids around, um, here's the question that I have for you. If you could go to like Target or some store like that, and you could have a full cart that is full of whatever you want, what would you fill that cart with? Play-Doh. I think you could come to my basement and I could fill your cart. I didn't hear what that was. What did we say? Toys. Um, like many toys. Many toys. That's good. Jaden, what would you fill your cart with? Play-Doh. Play-Doh. That's good. What did Joanna say? She would fill it with bath bombs. That's pretty classic. Nice. Okay, so here's a question. Any kid can answer it, but any adult can too. Let's see who has courage and honesty. When you're, when you're at like Target or maybe Kroger, what is it that if you see it in someone else's cart, you're a little bit like, mm, I'm a little judgy towards you. you. You know there's items like that. What is that? Or you're afraid someone's going to judge you for it. Frozen pot pies. Frozen pot pies. <laughs> Matt Brown said frozen pot pies. It's Cheetos for me. Cheetos are in my cart under things. I don't want people to see it. When I was a youth minister at my last church, I had my brother go to the liquor store with me and he had to buy my liquor store. <laughs> there you go. That's great. Twinkies. Anybody else? Grippo chips. Okay, here's one that I don't understand. It's not at, well, I guess it's frozen at Kroger, but a White Castle. I don't understand White Castle. I've tried it a couple times as an experiment. That's not a good experiment. I, I don't understand. <laughs> Probably not. I've only had the non-frozen at the at the castle, 
But I, I don't understand that one. It's not so much judgment as fascination. I, I don't. You could smell it from like six blocks away. That's an interesting place. <laughs> turkey bacon. Turkey bacon. That is the perfect segue to where we're going in Jewish-Gentile relations. Go ahead and, and look. Look in verse 11. We're going to start right here. But when Cephas, who is Peter, that's Peter's other name. Well, he has like three names, but that's one of his other names. Uh, came to Antioch. I opposed him. This is Paul talking. I opposed him to his face because he stood self-condemned. For until certain people came from James... He used to eat with the Gentiles, but after they came, he drew back and kept himself separate for fear of the circumcision faction. And the other Jews joined him in this hypocrisy so that even Barnabas was led astray by their hypocrisy. But when I saw that they were not acting consistently with the truth of the gospel, I said to Peter before them all, if you, though a Jew, lived like a Gentile and not like a Jew, how can you compel the Gentiles to live like Jews? I'll be honest. This is one of those sections of scripture that I would read and I would be like, what? And then I would read on. But there's a ton here if, if we will take a look. Uh, tonight, if you're coming to our first Sunday night school, we're going to get into some of the specifics. And we're going to open the book of Acts next to Galatians. We're going to read them together and see what leads Paul and Peter to this situation. But we'll save that for tonight because really there's one big thing I want us to get here. And, and that is, there is this pressure to protect that is happening. There's these people coming when it says uh, from James, that means it's from Jerusalem. And James is the leader of the church of Jerusalem. There's some people coming from there with all of their Jewish heritage, all of their religious privilege, all of that. They're coming into Antioch. And Antioch is this beautiful, multi-ethnic, multicultural city and church where they're really innovating what faith looks like. They're really learning from the Holy Spirit what it is that it looks like to be faithful to Jesus in this new context where it's Jews and Gentiles, everyone invited in. And when Peter first comes to there, he's eating with the Gentiles. He's eating pork bacon. He's eating the real thing. He's eating next to people. There's this real brotherhood, this real, well, mostly brotherhood, but sisterhood as well. There are, everybody's at the same table. It's all like, okay, we all belong here. And then as soon as these people from Jerusalem who are teaching the same thing as, as the rivals in week one, as soon as those people come, Peter leaves the table. It's like in middle school, all these Gentiles are there with all the good pork bacon. And Peter goes and sits with one of these religiously cool kids. And he goes to the table with the religiously privileged. And he leaves all the people that he was with. And it's not only that Peter does this, but people follow Peter's lead. So one day the Gentiles feel like insiders. They feel like they belong, that in Jesus they're, they're transformed, they're new. They're a part of this church. And the next day their leaders abandon them to go follow some people who say, no, it's you, Jesus plus you got to change the way you eat. You need to be circumcised. You need to follow all these laws. You're not enough. 
And this is a big deal. Remember, these Gentiles are, are the Celtic people. They're known as barbarians and all of this. And so all of these old feelings that they had, well, they would all come rushing back in as Peter abandons them at the table. Well, we think like we would never do that now, but we do. We do some of these things now. I, I, I think of how I've worked at a couple different churches and there's something that happens when young people, when kids, middle and high school students really get filled with a love for Jesus. They start living like wholeheartedly for God and they live loud and very different than us older folks. And sometimes we're like, that's cute, but y'all need to keep that on Wednesday and Sunday nights. That's cute that you live like that, but you need to like not have music like that or not have excitement like that, or you need to tame it down or be a little more mature about it. We try to kind of stifle what God's doing in somebody. And I think it's because, well, it's, it's seen as a threat. I remember when I was that, that young person who was filled with a love for Jesus, I told all of my friends about Jesus. And I brought in my friends who didn't, they looked like my neighborhood, not like me. And I've told you before about Ben Tui, who wanted to be a tattoo artist. So he practiced on himself in middle school and all of his tattoos looked like he practiced on himself in middle school. And he came in his best band shirt to, to church and it was like a Nirvana t-shirt and ripped up jeans and it was the best clothes that he had and he was met at the door with, we're so glad you're here. If you come again, borrow some of Matt's clothes. And I brought my, my friend Ron to church once or twice and, and Ron was black and he was well aware at this church that he was the only person who was black. And he felt like every eye was either on the preacher or on him the entire service. He didn't know if he belonged. My friend Pete came along and, and his, his family were all, all Buddhist. And so he came in with some real excitement about learning who Jesus is. And all of his talk was like his heritage was Buddhism. And so there was a pulling aside of like, hey, like that's, that's cute and all, but you need to sound a little more like Jesus and a little less like your heritage. You see, we do all of this and by doing this, we're saying that Jesus is not a, enough, that the testimony of Jesus within you is not enough. You need to be following Jesus. Plus you need to, well, look a little more like me or like us. And there's reasons that we do this. But first, let's look at why, why Paul confronts Peter and, and what the theology behind it is. In verse 15 and 16, we see Paul says, We ourselves are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners. Yet, we know that a person is justified not by the works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. And we have come to believe in Christ Jesus so that we might be justified by faith in Christ, not by doing the works of the law, because no one will be justified by the works of the law. So he starts off saying, hey, we, we know that we are in this family. We're in our understanding. We are by birth Jewish, and we're not like these Gentiles. And that comes straight out of their Jewish heritage, their Jewish understanding. But then he says, but it's not our birth that makes us justified with God. It's not our, 
our, our station in life and what family we were born into that makes us good with God. It's our faith, our faith alone. And it's not our observance of the law and how well we eat and all of these things that makes us good with God. It is our faith in Christ. And so if that's true of us as individuals, that has to be true of us all together. And if that's true of me, I have to let that be true of my neighbor. And this is a really big deal. And it comes to some of the ways that we use the gospel. So there's this phrase that Jesus says, I have come to bring life and life to the full, right? Now, when I first came to faith, when I sing songs like we just sang of the relentless, reckless love of God, of God's love washing over, I think of this life to the full. But I also think of how God might have filled your life and how sometimes the way that he's filling your life might make me uncomfortable. What you've got in your grocery cart, I might not like so much. I might wish your cart looked more like mine because, well, then I feel, I feel safer. You see, that's how God's people have always used laws. We've always used the law to feel safer ourselves to protect ourselves. But this life in the spirit, it's filled with freedom. And freedom, as much as we want it, well, freedom is a little bit scary. Because if we're free and we're at the same table together, well, well, then I'm a little dependent on what you do and you're a little dependent on what I do. And that, there's a lot of trust that forms there that feels less safe. See, I've realized in, in the last couple weeks, I've been praying through Galatians and looking at my own life and looking at us as a church. And I realized that Jesus invites us into this life and life to the full. But oftentimes we have come to Jesus with our full life and asked that the good news of the gospel would be that he would protect our full life. That's not what he does. That's not the gospel. That's not the good news. And so if we have this full life, we can't come and, and white-knuckle hold on to everything and anyone who brings something different, we can't be threatened by them. That's not the gospel. You see, it looks quite different. You all know that I, I moved fairly recently, so everything that we owned went in way too many boxes. And a few of you were saints who helped me move those boxes. Joshua Rodenbaugh currently hates me just by bringing it up, but... <laughs> But I, I've been thinking about these moving boxes. And I've been thinking about the gospel. And sometimes we want a smaller gospel that means that I get to protect my box. I get to protect everything that I want to hold on to. We think that the good news would be, God, protect my full life. But that's not the gospel. It's also not the gospel to say protect our boxes, we all get to put in our box everything that we think would fill our lives, and then we get to pray for our collective boxes. That's not the gospel. And sometimes when we sit with somebody, well, we want to sort through their box. We want to see if there's anything we don't approve of or that makes us nervous or feel unsafe that doesn't match. And if there's anything there, we want to throw that out. But Sorting through another's box, that's not the gospel. 
What the gospel looks like is that we open up our box, we dump it out on the table before the Lord, and we allow the Lord to sort through that. Because he's the one who brings us life to the full, and he's the one who determines what that full life looks like. But he's also the one who sets us free. And as long as we're holding on to this full life, we are not free. But if we allow God to give us whatever God chooses to give us, well, that's freedom. I was thinking about this along the lines of uh, economics this week a little bit. And I will hold on to this biblical principle of being good stewards. And it is a, a biblical principle. We'll hold on to this idea of being good steward of our time and of our treasures and of our, our finances and our talents and all of this kind of stuff. But sometimes we'll, we'll do that to the point of hoarding. And we'll do that to keep our life full. And there's also something very biblical of just sacrificing, of lavishly loving God back, of loving God's people, even to the point where we're a little bit uncomfortable by the fact that God's people don't look exactly like us, and that's good. You see, we're about to receive communion in a moment, and there will be a minute for you to go grab a piece of bread or some juice or whatever. And here's what I want to say about that. If you, like, we had pita chips in front of us. It's okay. That's what I have. And we're not saying that the, the bread and the juice are not holy. We're not saying that there's not something holy about communion. We're saying that it is so holy that God can take some very seemingly common grape juice and pita juice and make it something sacred. God can do that with this moment. And so in a moment, we're going to gather that together and, and be led through communion. But before we do that, I, I want to ask you a couple questions. I want to ask you a couple questions so we can kind of search our heart to see if we're like Peter in this. If we're really good being at the table with somebody until it costs us something, until it threatens what we're protecting, and then we back away. Or are we willing to love lavishly? Are we willing to let the freedom in Christ look different on somebody else than it does within us? We don't have a building right now, right? But I'm getting a sense that, that I'm gaining an excitement that soon, maybe, I don't know when soon is, but soon maybe we'll be able to worship together again in person. That we'll be able to be a community again in person without fear of, of COVID or, or even just, not, not even just fear, but even the wisdom of not in, infecting one another or risking one another that God's going to give us a building and a space to be able to meet in. But before we get there, there's some work to be done where we search our hearts individually and then we search our culture together to see, okay, God, who is it that you are inviting to your table? And what do we need to do within us to make sure that we're inviting them into the same gospel that we were invited into? One that is just simply the love of Jesus poured out on any who have faith in him and nothing more. That we don't hold anyone else to a standard God's inviting us to, but 
Instead, we, we trust the Holy Spirit within one another. And we trust that Christ will really build his church. How can we come to the table by faith alone and invite others to do the same? We're going to chew on this a little more detail tonight. If you're free, we're going to record that as well. And and you can listen on the podcast, just how Peter and Paul got to that situation. But I I want us to, to chew on this idea of of can we trust faith alone in our own lives? And I'm going to pray and we're going to move into communion, okay? Let's pray together. Jesus, I know there are moments where I have pushed away from the table. And I know those moments are usually about protecting something. Protecting something that I'm afraid that faith might cost me or that relationship might cost me. I pray that your spirit would lovingly convict us, would strip away other things that we hold on to, that you would give us the courage to dump out the box of our full life before you. And allow you to place in our hands what it is that we're to be stewards of, but that we would trust you with the rest. And we find great freedom, great joy in gathering at your table. Thanks. Amen. As we prepare to come to the table of the Lord this morning, we just want to give you